Section 20. A godly person is good in his relationships. To be good in general is not enough, but we must show piety in our relationships. 1. He is godly who is good as a magistrate. The magistrate is God's representative. A godly magistrate holds the balance of justice and gives everyone his right. Thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift, for a gift doth blind the eyes. Deuteronomy 16 19. A magistrate must judge the cause, not the person. He who allows himself to be corrupted by bribes is not a judge, but a participant. A magistrate must do that which is according to the law. Acts 23 3. And in order to do what is right and just, he must examine the cause. The archer who wants to shoot accurately must first see the target. 2. He is godly who is good as a minister. A minister must be diligent. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. 2 Timothy 4 2. The minister must not be idle. Sloth is as inexcusable in a minister as sleeping is in a sentry. John the Baptist was a voice crying out. Matthew 3 3. A silent minister is of no more use than a dead physician. A man of God must work in the Lord's vineyard. It was Augustine's wish that Christ would find him either praying or preaching. When he returned, a minister must be knowledgeable. The priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth. Malachi 2 7. It was said in honor of Gregory of Nazianzus that he was an ocean of divinity. The prophets of old were called seers. 1 Samuel 9 9. It is absurd to have blind seers. Christ said to Peter, Feed my sheep. John 21.16 But how sad it is when the shepherd needs to be fed. Ignorance in a minister is like blindness in an optometrist. Under the law, he who had the plague in his head was unclean. Leviticus 13.44 A minister must preach plainly. He must adapt his matter and style to the capacity of his hearers. 1 Corinthians 14 19. Some ministers, like eagles, love to soar aloft in obscure, abstract ideas, thinking they are most admired when they are least understood. Those who preach in the clouds instead of hitting their people's consciences. Shoot over their heads. A minister must be zealous in reproving sin. Rebuke them sharply. Titus 1 13. Zeal in a minister is as proper as fire on the altar. Some ministers, though, are afraid to rebuke, like the swordfish that has a sword in his head but is without a heart. In the same way, Some ministers carry the sword of the Spirit about them, but have no heart to draw it out in condemning sin. 
How many have sewn pillows under their people? Ezekiel 13.18 Making them sleep so securely that they did not awake until they were in hell. A minister must be holy in heart and life. In heart. How sad it is for a minister to preach to others that which he never felt in his own soul, to exhort others to holiness while he himself was a stranger to it. Oh, that this were not the case so often. How many people blow the Lord's trumpet with foul breath? In life. Under the law, before the priests served at the altar, they washed in the laver. Those who serve in the Lord's house must first be washed from obvious sin in the laver of repentance. The life of a minister should be a walking Bible. Basil said that Gregory of Narzianzus thundered in his doctrine and displayed lightning in his conduct. A minister must imitate John the Baptist, who is not only a voice crying out, Isaiah 43, but was also a shining light, John 5:35. Those who live in contradiction to what they preach disgrace this excellent calling. Although they are angels by office, yet they are devils in their lives. Jeremiah 23, 15. 3. He is godly who is good as a husband. He fills up that relationship with love. Husbands, love your wives. Ephesians 5, 25. The vine twisting its branches around the elm tree and embracing it may be a symbol of that complete love that should be in the marriage relationship. A married condition would be sad if it had difficulties to embitter it, but not love to sweeten it. Love is the best diamond in the marriage ring. Isaac loved Rebekah. Genesis 24, 67. Unkindnesses in this close relationship are very unhappy. We read in heathen authors that Clytemestra, the wife of Agamemnon, in order to avenge an injury received from her husband, first tore the veil of her chastity and afterward consented to his death. The husband should show his love to his wife by covering weaknesses, by avoiding occasions of strife, by sweet and endearing expressions, by pious counsel, by tokens of love by encouraging what he sees pleasant and virtuous in her, by mutual prayer, and by spending time with her unless he is detained by urgency of business. The captain who leaves his ship and abandons it entirely to the merciless waves declares that he does not value it or believe there is any treasure in it. The Apostle Peter gives a good reason why there should be mutual love between husband and wife. That your prayers be not hindered. 1 Peter 3.7 Where passions prevail, there prayer is either stopped or interrupted. 4. He is godly who is good as a father. A father must instill holy instructions into his children. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 4. This is what Abraham did. I know him 
that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. Genesis 18.19 Children are young plants that must be watered with good education, so that they may, with Obadiah, fear the Lord from their youth. 1 Kings 18.12 Plato said that he who has been negligent in sowing expects a harvest in vain. In the same way, a parent cannot expect to reap any good from a child where he has not sown the seed of wholesome instruction. And, if notwithstanding all counsel and admonition, the child would die in sin. Yet, it is a comfort to a godly parent to know that before his child died, he gave him spiritual medicine. A parent must pray for his children. Monica, the mother of Augustine, prayed for his conversion, and someone said it was impossible for a son of so many prayers and tears to perish. The soul of your child is in a snare, and will you not pray that he may recover himself out of the snare of the devil? 2 Timothy 2.26 Many parents are careful to set aside possessions or wealth for their children but they do not set aside prayers for them. A parent must discipline his children. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Proverbs 23:13. The rod beats out the dust and moth of sin. A child indulged and spoiled in wickedness will become a burden instead of a blessing. David pampered Adonijah. His father had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why hast thou done so? 1 Kings 1.6 He later was a grief of heart to his father and wanted to remove him from his throne. Correction is a hedge of thorns to stop children in their full path to hell. 5. He is godly who is good as the head of the household. A godly man cultivates Christianity in his family. He sets up piety in his house as well as in his heart. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Psalm 101, 2. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, 15. I find it written in honor of Archbishop Thomas Cranmer that his family was a nursery of piety. A godly person's house is a little church, the church which is in his house. Colossians 4:15. A godly man makes known the word and ways of God to those who are under his roof. He reads the word and fills his house with prayer. It is recorded of the Jews that they had sacrifices in their family as well as in the tabernacle. Exodus 12, 3. A godly person provides necessities. He relieves his servants in health and sickness. He is not like that Amalekite who shook off his servant when he was sick. 1 Samuel 30, 13. But rather is like the good centurion who sought Christ for the healing of his sick servant. Matthew 8, 5-6 A godly person sets a good example for his servants. 
He is reasoned and heavenly in his demeanor. His virtuous life is a good mirror for the servants in the family to dress themselves by. 6. He is godly who is good in his duties and relationship as a child. He honors his parents. Philo the Jew placed the fifth commandment in the first table, as if children had not performed their whole devotion to God until they had given honor to their parents. Honoring parents consists of two things. Respecting them. This respect is shown both by humility of speech and by action. The opposite of this is when a child behaves himself in an improper and proud manner. Among the Lacedaemonians, if a child had behaved disrespectfully toward his parents, it was published by authority that it was lawful for the father to appoint whom he would to be his heir and to disinherit that child. Obeying their commands. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Ephesians 6, 1. Duty is the interest that children pay their parents on the capital they have had from them. Christ has set for all children an example of obedience to their parents. He was subject unto them. Luke 2, 51. The Rechabites were eminent for this. I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites pots full of wine and cups, and said unto them, Drink ye wine. But they said, We will drink no wine, for Jonadab, the son of Rechab our father, commanded us, saying, Ye shall drink no wine, neither ye, nor your sons, forever. Jeremiah 35, 5-6 So Lone was asked why, among the many laws he made, no law was made against disobedient children. He answered that it was because he thought none would be so wicked. God has punished children who have refused to pay the tribute of obedience. Absalom, a disobedient son, was hanged in an oak between heaven and earth as being worthy of neither. 2 Samuel 18.9 Manlius was an old man who had been reduced to poverty. He had a rich son, whom he asked only for charity. But the son would not help his father. The son disowned him as his father, using reproachful language. The poor old man let tears fall as witnesses of his grief and went away. God, to revenge this disobedience of the son, soon afterward struck him with insanity. He in whose heart godliness lives is as much concerned about the fifth commandment as of the first. 7. He is godly who is good as an employee. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling. Ephesians 6.5. See also Colossians 3.22. The goodness of servants or employees lies in the following qualities. Diligence. Abraham's servant quickly took care of the business his master had entrusted him with. Genesis 24, 33. Cheerfulness. Servants must obey willingly, like the centurion's servants. 
I say unto one, Go, and he goeth. Luke 7, 8. Faithfulness. This consists in two things. One, in not defrauding nor purlorning. Titus 2, 10. Two, in keeping counsel. It proves the weakness of a stomach when it cannot retain what is put into it. And it proves the weakness of a servant when he cannot keep those secrets that his master has committed to him. Silence. Not answering again. Titus 2.9 It is better to mend a fault than to minimize it, and that which may stimulate a servant in his work is that encouraging verse, Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Colossians 3.24 If Christ would ask you to do a bit of work for him, would you not do it? While you serve your employer, you serve the Lord Christ. If you ask what salary you will have, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. Application 1. It is the great sign of a godly person to be relatively holy. If this is so, then may the Lord be merciful to us. For how few godly people are to be found. Many people put on the coat of profession. They will pray and discuss points of religion. But what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep? 1 Samuel 15, 14. They are not good in their actions and conversation. How bad it is when Christians are defective in relative piety. Can we call a bad magistrate godly? He perverts justice. Do ye judge uprightly, O ye sons of men? Yea, in heart ye work wickedness. Ye weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. Psalm 58, 1-2 Can we call a bad parent godly? He never teaches his child the way to heaven. He is like the ostrich that is cruel to her young. Job 39, 16 Can we call a bad employer godly? Many employers leave their Christianity at church, as the clerk does his book. They have nothing much to do with God at home. Their houses are not Bethel's, house of God, but Bethavents, house of idols, of trouble, of nothingness. See Hosea 10.5. Their homes are not little temples, but little hells. How many employers at the last day must plead guilty at the judgment. Although they have fed their employees' bellies, they have starved their souls. Can we call a bad child godly? He closes his ear to his parents' counsel. You may as well call him who is disloyal a good subject. Can we call a bad employee godly? He is lazy, disobedient, and self-willed. He is more ready to point out a fault in someone else than to correct it in himself. To call someone godly who is bad in his relationships is a contradiction. It is to call evil good. Isaiah 5.20 Application 2 Since we desire to have God approve of us, let us show forth godliness in our relationships. 
not to be good in our relationships, spoils all our other good things. Naaman was an honorable man, but he was a leper. 2 Kings 5.1 That but spoiled everything. In the same way, someone can be a great hearer, but if he neglects relative duties, it stains the beauty of all his other actions. Just as in printing, no matter how well-shaped the letter is, if it is not set in the right place, the meaning is spoiled. A person may have many things commendable in him, yet if he is not good in his right place, being careful of how he walks in his relationships, he does harm to the Christian religion. There are many to whom Christ will say at last, as to the young man, Yet lackest thou one thing. Luke 18.22 You have been wrong in your duties and relationships. As therefore we value our salvation and the honor of the Christian religion, let us shine in that sphere of relationships in which God has placed us. Section 21 A godly person does spiritual things in a spiritual manner. We are the circumcision, which worship God in spirit. Philippians 3.3 Spiritual worship is pure worship. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. 1 Peter 2.5 This is not just referring to spiritual in the matter, but also in the quality. A wicked person either lives in the total neglect of duty or else carries out his duty, it in a dull, careless manner. Instead of using the world as if he used it not, 1 Corinthians 7.31, he serves God as if he did not serve him. A godly person spiritualizes duty. He not only desires to do holy things, but he also wants to do all things in a holy way. Question. What does it mean to perform spiritual duties spiritually? Answer. It consists in three things. 1. To perform spiritual duties spiritually is to do duties from a spiritual principle, from a renewed principle of grace. A person may have gifts that attract admiration. He may have the most tender, pleasing expressions. He may speak like an angel that has come down from heaven, yet his duties may not be spiritual because he lacks the grace of the Spirit. Whatever a moral unsaved person does is only nature refined. Although he may do duties better than a godly person in regard to matter and elegance, yet he does not do them as well because he lacks a renewed principle. A crab tree may bear fruit as well as the best apple tree. The fruit may be big and lovelier to the eye, yet it is not such a good fruit as the other because it does not come from such a good stock. In the same way, an unsaved person may perform as many duties as a child of God, and these may seem to be more glorious to the outward view, but they are harsh and sour because they do not come from the sweet and pleasant root of grace. A true saint gives God that wine that comes from the pure grape of the Spirit. 
Two, to perform duties spiritually is to do them with the utmost attention. A Christian is very serious and strives to keep his thoughts close to the work in hand, that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. 1 Corinthians 7.35 Question. But may not a godly person have wandering thoughts in duty? Answer. Yes. Sad experience proves it. The thoughts will be dancing up and down in prayer. The saints are called stars, and many times in duty they are wandering stars. The heart is like mercury that will not settle. It is hard to tie two good thoughts together. We cannot lock our hearts so tightly without distracting thoughts, like wind getting in. Jerome complained about himself, saying, Sometimes when I am doing God's service, I am walking in the galleries or figuring up accounts. However, these wandering thoughts in the godly should not be. I hate vain thoughts. Psalm 119.113 They show up like unwelcome guests who are no sooner seen than they are sent away. Question. From where do these wandering thoughts arise in the godly? Answer 1. From the depravity of nature. They are the mud that the heart stirs up. Answer 2. From Satan. If the devil cannot hinder us from duty, he will hinder us in duty. When we come before the Lord, Satan is at our right hand to resist us. Zechariah 3, 1. It is as when someone is going to write and someone else stands near him and bumps his elbow so that he cannot write evenly. Satan will set worthless objects before the imagination to cause a diversion. The devil does not oppose formality, but fervency. If he sees that we desire to earnestly seek God, he will whisper things in our ears so that we can hardly pay attention to what we are doing. Answer 3. These wandering thoughts arise from the world. These vermin are bred out of the earth. Worldly business often crowds into our duties, and while we are speaking to God, our hearts are talking with the world. They sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them, for with their mouth they shew much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. Ezekiel 33, 31. While we are hearing the word or meditating, some worldly business commonly knocks at the door, and we are taken away from the duty while we are in the duty. It is the same with us as it was with Abraham. When he was going to worship, the birds came down upon the sacrifice. Genesis 15:11. Question: How can we get rid of these wandering thoughts so that we can be more spiritual in duty? Answer 1. Consider God's purity. He whom we serve is a holy God, and he cannot accept our conversing with vanity when we are worshiping him. Will a king like it if a subject is playing with a feather while speaking to him? Will God accept light, feathery hearts? How devout and reverent the angels are. They cover their faces and cry 
Holy, holy, holy. Isaiah 6, 2-3. Answer 2. Think of the great importance of the duties we are engaged in. As David said concerning building a house for God, the work is great. 1 Chronicles 29, 1. When we are hearing the word, the work is great. This is the word by which we will be judged. When we are at prayer, the work is great. We are pleading for the life of our souls. And is this a time not to be sincere and fervent? Answer 3. Come to duty with affection. The nature of love is to focus the mind upon the object. The thoughts of a man who is in love are on the person he loves, and nothing can take those thoughts off the person. The thoughts of a person who loves the world are always focused on the world. If our hearts were more fired with love, they would be more focused on duty. And oh, what reason we have to love duty! Is not this the direct road to heaven? Do we not meet with God here? Can the spouse be better than in her husband's company? Where can the soul be better than in drawing near to God? Answer 4. Consider the harm that these vain, distracting thoughts cause. They contaminate our duties. They hinder fervency. They show great irreverence. They tempt God to turn His ear away from us. Why do we think God would pay attention to our prayers when we ourselves hardly pay attention to them? Answer 5. To do duties spiritually is to do them in faith. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Hebrews 11.4 The holy oil for the tabernacle had several spices put into it. Exodus 30.34 Faith is the sweet spice that must be put into duty. It is an insult to God to doubt either His mercy or His truth. A Christian may venture his soul upon the public faith of heaven. Application 1. How far from godliness they are who are unspiritual in their worship, who do not do duties from a renewed heart and with the utmost intention of soul, but merely to stop the mouth of conscience. Many people look no further than the minimal doing of duties without any concern as to how they are done. God does not judge our duties by length, but by love. When people put God off with the reluctant and least desirable part of duty, may he not say, as in Isaiah, Is it such a fast that I have chosen? Isaiah 58, 5 Are these the duties I required? I called for the heart and spirit, and you bring nothing but the carcass of duty. Should I receive comfort in this? Application 2. Let us show ourselves godly by being more spiritual in duty. It is not how much we do, but how well we do what we do. A musician is not commended for playing long, but for playing well. We must not only do what God appoints, but as God appoints. Oh, how many are unspiritual in spiritual things! They bring their services, but not their hearts. They give God the skin, 
but not the fat of the offering. God is a spirit, John 4.24, and it is the spirituality of duty that he is best pleased with, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.5 The spirits of the wine are best, and so is the spiritual part of duty, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Ephesians 5.19 It is the heart that makes the music. Spiritualizing the duty gives life to it. Without this, it is dead praying and dead hearing, and dead things are not pleasing. A dead flower has no beauty. Question. What may we do to perform duties in a spiritual manner? Answer 1. Let the soul be kept pure. Lust dulls and demoralizes a person. Beware of any hint of uncleanness. James 1.21 Wood that is full of sap will not easily burn, and a heart saturated in sin is not fit to burn in holy devotion. Can he who feels carnal lust be spiritual in worship? Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. Hosea 4.11 Any sin lived in takes away the heart. Such a person has no heart to pray or meditate. The more alive the heart is in sin, the more it dies to duty. Answer 2. If we want to be spiritual in duty, let us consider these two things in our minds. The profit that comes from a duty performed in a spiritual manner. It debilitates corruption, increases grace, defeats Satan, strengthens our communion with God, produces peace of conscience, obtains answers of mercy, and always leaves the heart in better tune. The danger of doing duties in an unspiritual manner. Doing duties in an unspiritual manner is as if the duties had not been done, for what the heart does not do is not done. Duties carelessly performed turn ordinances into judgments. Therefore, although many people are often doing their duty, they go away worse from doing their duty. If medicine is not well made, and if the ingredients are not properly mixed, it is as bad as poison for the body. In the same way, if duties are not well performed, they leave the heart harder and more sinful than before. Unspiritual duties often create earthly judgments. The Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought Him not after the due order. 1 Chronicles 15.13 Therefore, God makes breaches in families and relationships, because people do not worship Him in the manner and due order that He requires. Answer 3. If we want to have our duties spiritual, we must get our hearts spiritual. An earthly heart cannot be spiritual in duty. Let us beg from God a spiritual appetite to prefer and delight in the sweetness in holy things. For lack of spiritual hearts, we come to duty without delight, and we go away without profit. If a person wants to have the gears of his watch move regularly, he must fix the spring. Christian, if you want to move more spiritually in duty, 
Get the spring of your heart fixed. Section 22. A godly person is thoroughly advanced in Christianity. A godly person obeys every command of God. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Acts 13.22. The Greek says, All my wills. A godly person labors to walk according to the full breadth and latitude of God's law. Every command has the same stamp of divine authority on it, and he who is godly will obey one command as well as another. Then shall I not be ashamed, when I have respect unto all thy commandments. Psalm 119.6 A godly person goes through all the teachings of the Bible as the sun travels across all the sky. He who plays a ten-stringed instrument must strike every string, or he will spoil all the music. The Ten Commandments may be compared to a ten-stringed instrument. We must obey every commandment, striking every string, or we cannot make any sweet music in the Christian religion. True obedience is proper for a child. It is right for the child to obey the parent in all right and sincere commands. God's laws are like the curtains of the tabernacle that were looped together. They are like a chain of gold in which all the links are coupled. A conscientious person will not willingly break one link of this chain. If one command is violated, the entire chain is broken. Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. James 2.10 A voluntary violation of one of God's laws involves a man who is guilty and exposes him to the curse of the whole law. True obedience is entire and uniform. A good heart, like the needle, points the way in which the compass draws. One big difference between a child of God and a hypocrite is that the hypocrite picks and chooses in religion. He will perform some duties that are easier and that gratify his pride or interest, but other duties he disregards. Ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Matthew 23, 23. To sweat in some duties of Christianity and freeze in others is the symptom of an unsettled Christian. Jehu was zealous in destroying the idolatry of Baal, but he let the golden calves of Jeroboam remain. 2 Kings 10.29 This shows that people are not good in truth when they are good by halves. How would you like if your employee would do some of the work you gave him to do, but leave the rest undone? The Lord says, Walk before me, and be thou perfect. Genesis 17, 1. How are our hearts perfect with God when we try to compromise with Him? Some things we will do, and other things we leave undone. He is good who is thoroughly good. There are ten duties that God calls for, which a godly person will conscientiously perform. Indeed, 
these duties may serve as so many other markers and barometers by which to test our godliness. 1. A godly person will often examine his heart. He takes the candle of the Word and searches his innermost being. I commune with mine own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. Psalm 77 6. A godly soul searches whether there is any duty omitted or any sin cherished. He examines his life to see if it shows evidence of being on the way to heaven. Just as he will not take his gold upon trust without seeing it, neither will he take his grace upon trust without seeing evidence of it. He is a spiritual merchant. He adds up the wealth of his soul to see what he is worth. He sets his house in order. Checking this frequently keeps God and conscience friends. A worldly person cannot tolerate this work of the heart. He is ignorant of how things are in his soul. He is like a man who is well acquainted with foreign lands, but is a stranger in his own country. 2. A godly person spends much time in private prayer. He regularly has private devotion. When Jacob was left alone, he wrestled with God. Genesis 32:24. In the same way, when a godly heart is alone, it wrestles in prayer and will not leave God until it has a blessing. A devout Christian exercises eyes of faith and knees of prayer. Hypocrites, who have nothing of religion apart from the outer acts, love to be seen. Christ has characterized them. They love to pray in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen. Matthew 6, 5. The hypocrite is devout in the temple. Everyone will look at him there, but he is a stranger to secret communion with God. He is a saint in the church, but an atheist in private. A good Christian is often in communication with heaven. Private prayer keeps up the art of godliness. When private holiness is laid aside, a stab is given to the heart of Christianity. 1. A godly man is diligent in his calling. He takes care to provide for his family. The church must not exclude the shop. William Perkins said that even if a man is endued with excellent gifts, hears the word with reverence, and receives the sacrament, if he does not practice the duties of his calling, it is all mere hypocrisy. Christianity never gave anyone a right to be idle. There are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. 2 Thessalonians 3, 11-12 The bread that tastes the sweetest is obtained with the most sweat. A godly person would rather fast than eat the bread of idleness. Proverbs 31, 27 Vain professing Christians talk about living by faith, but do not live in a calling. They are like the lilies of the field. They toil not, neither do they spin. Matthew 6, 28. 
An idle person is the devil's tennis ball that he hits back and forth with temptation until at last the ball goes out of bounds. 2. A godly person sets bounds to himself in lawful things. He is moderate in matters of recreation and diet. He takes only so much for the restoration of health so that he can be better used for God's service. Jerome lived a life of self-denial. His diet consisted of a few dried figs and cold water. Augustine, in his confessions, said, Lord, you have taught me to go to my food as to a medicine. If the bridle of reason curbs the appetite, much more should the curbing bit of grace do so. The life of a sinner is like that of an animal. The glutton feeds himself without fear, Jude 1.12, and the drunkard drinks without reason. Too much oil chokes the lamp, whereas a lesser amount makes it burn more brightly. A godly person holds the golden bridle of self-control and will not allow his table to be a snare. 3. A godly person is careful about moral righteousness. He is concerned about righteousness as well as piety. The scripture has linked both together, and we should seek to serve God in holiness and righteousness. Luke 1, 74-75 Holiness is the first table, and righteousness is the second table. Although a person may be morally righteous without being godly, no one can be godly unless he is morally righteous. This moral righteousness is seen in how we deal with other people. A good person observes that golden saying, Whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Matthew 7, 12 There is a threefold injustice in matters of business dealings. 1. Using false weights. The balances of deceit are in his hand. Hosea 12.7 By making their weights lighter, people make their sin heavier. They make the ephah small. Amos 8.5 The ephah was a measure used in selling. They made the ephah small. They gave only a small measure. A godly person who takes the Bible in one hand dare not use false weights in the other. 2. Debasing a commodity they sell the refuse of the wheat. Amos 8.6 They would pick out the best grains of wheat and sell the worst at the same price as the best. Thy wine is mixed with water. Isaiah 1.22 They watered down their wine, yet made their customers believe it came from the pure grape. 3. Taking a great deal more than the commodity is worth. If thou sell aught unto thy neighbor, ye shall not oppress one another. Leviticus 25.14 A godly person deals exactly, but not exactingly. He will sell so as to help himself, but not to wrong someone. His motto is, A conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Acts 24.16 the hypocrite separates these two things that God has joined together, righteousness 
and holiness. He pretends to be pure, but is not just. It brings Christianity into contempt when people fly the flag of Christ, yet will use dishonest practices and, under a mask of piety, neglect honesty. A godly person takes effort to follow the second table as well as the first. 1. A godly person will forgive those who have wronged him, even though revenge is sweet to nature. A gracious spirit overlooks insults, forgets unfairness, and considers it a greater victory to conquer an enemy by patience than by power. It is truly heroic to overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21 Although I would not trust an enemy, yet I would try to love him. I would exclude him from my creed, but not from my prayer. Matthew 5, 44 Question But does every godly person succeed in forgiving and even loving his enemies? Answer He does so in a gospel sense. That is, insofar as there is assent. He subscribes to it in his judgment as something that should be done. With the mind, I myself serve the law of God. Romans 7.25 Insofar as there is grief, a godly person mourns that he does not love his enemies more. O wretched man that I am! Romans 7.24 O this depraved, corrupt heart of mine that has received so much mercy and yet shows so little! I have had very much forgiven me, yet I can hardly forgive at all. Insofar as there is prayer, a godly person prays that God will give him a heart to love his enemies. Lord, pluck this root of bitterness out of me, perfume my soul with love, and make me a dove without malice. Insofar as there is effort, a godly person sets out and strives in the strength of Christ against all enmity and bitterness of spirit. This is, in a gospel sense, what it means to love our enemies. A wicked person cannot do this, for his malice boils up to revenge. 1. A godly person lays to heart the difficulties and sufferings of the members of Christ's body. We wept when we remembered Zion. Psalm 137.1 I have read of certain trees whose leaves begin to contract and shrink if the other leaves are cut or touched and hang down their heads for a time. Such a spiritual sympathy exists among Christians. When other parts of God's church suffer, they feel as if they themselves were afflicted. Ambrose said that when Theodosius was sick unto death, he was more troubled about the church of God than about his own sickness. When Aeneas would have saved Anchises' life, Anchises said, Far be it from me that I should desire to live when Troy is buried in its ruins. There are two unisons in music. If you strike one, you will notice the other one move as if it were affected. When the Lord strikes others, a godly heart is deeply affected. 
my bowels shall sound like an harp. Isaiah 16:11. Even if things go well with a child of God in his own private life, and he lives in a house of cedar, he still grieves to see things go poorly for others. Queen Esther enjoyed the king's favor and all the delights of the court. Yet when a murderous decree was signed for the death of the Jews, she mourned and fasted and risked her own life to save theirs. 1. A godly person is content with his present condition. If provisions get low, his heart is strengthened to his condition. Cato said, Many blame me because I lack, and I blame them because they are not able to lack. A godly person puts a candid interpretation upon providence. When God brews him a bitter cup, he says, This is my diet drink that is intended to cleanse me and do my soul good. Therefore, he is most content. Philippians 4.11 2. A godly person is fruitful in good works. Titus 2.7 The Hebrew word for godly signifies merciful, implying that to be godly and charitable are one and the same. A good person feeds the hungry and clothes the naked. He is ever merciful. Psalm 37.26 To this day, the more devout Jews distribute the tenth part of their wealth to the poor. They have a proverb among them, saying, Give the tenth, and you will grow rich. The hypocrite is all for faith, but not for works, like the laurel that makes a nice decoration, but bears no fruit. 3. A godly person will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 He will be married to Christ, even if Christ gives him nothing else but the cross. He suffers out of choice and with a spirit of courage. Hebrews 11.35 Argyrius wrote a letter to his friend, saying that it was written from the pleasant gardens of the Leonine prison. The blessed martyrs who put on the whole armor of God blunted the edge of persecution by their courage. The juniper tree makes the coolest shadow and the hottest coal. In the same way, persecution makes the coal of love hotter and the shadow of death cooler. Thus, a godly person follows all of the Christian religion and duties and obeys God in whatever he commands. Objection but it is impossible for anyone to walk according to the full breadth of God's law and to follow God fully. Answer. There is a twofold obeying of God's law. The first is perfect, when everything is done that the law requires. This we cannot arrive at in this life. Secondly, there is an incomplete obedience that is accepted in Christ. This consists of four things. 1. An approval of all God's commands. The commandment is holy and just and good. I consent unto the law that it is good. Romans 7.12.16 There is both assent and consent. 2. A sweet delight in God's commands. I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. 
Psalm 119.47. 3. An earnest desire to walk in all God's commands. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Psalm 119.5. 4. A real endeavor to tread in every path of the command. I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. Psalm 119.59. Zacharias had his failings. He hesitated through unbelief, for which he was struck mute. Yet it is said that he walked in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Luke 1.6. Because he earnestly endeavored to obey God in all things. Evangelical obedience is true in its essence, though not perfect in its degree, and where it inadvertently falls short, Christ puts his mercies into the scale, and then there is full weight. Section 23. A Godly Person Walks with God Noah walked with God. Genesis 6, 9. The age in which Noah lived was very corrupt. The wickedness of man was great in the earth. Genesis 6, 5. However, the iniquity of the times did not prevent Noah from walking with God. Noah is called a preacher of righteousness. 2 Peter 2, 5. Noah preached by doctrine. Some of the rabbis say that his preaching was after this manner. Turn from your evil ways, so that the waters of the flood will not come upon you, and cut off the entirety of Adam's race. Noah preached by his life. He preached by his humility, patience, and sanctity. Noah walked with God. Question. What does it mean to walk with God? Answer. Walking with God implies five things. One. Walking with God implies walking as under God's eye. Noah reverenced a deity. A godly person sets himself as in God's presence, knowing that his judge is looking on. I have set the Lord always before me. Psalm 16.8 David's eyes were here. 2. Walking with God implies the familiarity and intimacy that the soul has with God. Friends walk together and comfort themselves one with another. The godly make known their requests to God. Philippians 4, 6. And he makes known his love to them. There is a sweet relationship between God and his people. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 3. 3. Walking with God is walking above the earth. A godly person is elevated above all worldly objects. The person who walks with God must ascend very high. A person cannot walk among the stars, nor can an earthly soul walk with God. 4. Walking with God denotes visible piety. Walking is a visible posture. Grace must be observable to the onlookers. He walks with God who reveals something of God in his walk. 
He shines forth in biblical behavior. 5. Walking with God signifies continued progress in grace. It is not only a step, but it is a walk. A godly person moves on toward perfection. A godly person does not sit down in the middle of his way, but continues on until he comes to the end of his faith. 1 Peter 1, 9 Though a good man may be out of the path, he is not out of the way. He may through weakness step aside, as Peter did, but he recovers himself by repentance and continues in a progress of holiness. The righteous also shall hold on his way. Job 17.9 Application 1. See from this how improper it is to describe as godly those who do not walk with God. They want to have Noah's crown, but they do not love Noah's walk. Most are found in the devil's dark walk. Many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Philippians 3.18 Some people will commend walking with God and say it is the best life in the world, but will not set one foot on the way. Not all who commend wine pay the price for it. Many fathers command virtue to their children, but do not provide them with a good example. Others walk a few steps in the good old ways, but they go back again. Jeremiah 6.16 If the ways of God were not good, why did they enter into them? If they were good, why did they forsake them? For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment. 2 Peter 2.21 Others slander walking with God as a gloomy walk, and they describe those who are less zealous as more prosperous. God considers this blasphemy. The way of truth shall be evil spoken of. 2 Peter 2.2 In the Greek it is it shall be blaspheme. Others ridicule walking with God as if it were a way of foolish strictness. They say, What? Do you want to join the holy club? Do you think you will be wiser than others? There are some people who, if it were in their power, would ridicule holiness out of the world. The seat of the scornful stands at the mouth of hell. Psalm 1.1 Proverbs 19.29 Others, instead of walking with God, walk after the flesh. 2 Peter 2.10 They walk by worldly opinions, and they walk according to fleshly lusts. They walk by worldly opinions. There are six of these worldly opinions. 1 that it is best to do what most do. They believe that they should follow the ways and fashions of the world. They do not seek a new heart, but want to keep up with the new fads and entertainment of the world. 2. That reason is the highest judge and umpire in matters of Christianity. 
we must believe no further than we can see. For a person to become a fool so that he may be wise, to be saved purely by the righteousness of another, and to keep everything by losing everything, the natural man will by no means put this in his creed. 3. That a little Christianity is adequate. The lifeless form may be kept up in outward practice, but zeal is insanity. The world thinks that religion is best when, like gold leaf, it is spread very thin. 4. That the way that may lead to affliction is not good. A stick, although it is straight, seems crooked under water. So, religion, if it brings affliction, appears crooked to a carnal eye. 5. That all a person's concern should be for the present. As that profane cardinal said, he would give up his part in paradise to keep his cardinalship in Paris. 6. That sinning is better than suffering. It is greater discretion to keep the body safe than the conscience pure. These are such rules as the crooked serpent has found out, which, whoever walks by them, shall not know peace. Isaiah 59, 8. They walk according to fleshly lusts. They make provision for the flesh. Romans 13, 14. Emperor Heliogabalus was such a person. He so indulged the flesh that he never sat except among sweet flowers that were mixed with amber and musk. He dressed in purple clothes that were set with precious stones. He did not burn oil in his lamps, but a costly balsam brought from Arabia that was very fragrant. He bathed himself in perfumed water. He put his body to no other use except to be a vessel for meat and drink to run through. This is how sinners walk after the flesh. If a drunken or unclean lust calls, they gratify it. They call other people cowards who dare not sin at the same rate that they do. Instead of walking with God, they walk contrary to Him. Lust is the compass they sail by. Satan is their captain, and hell is the port they are bound for. Application 2. We can determine whether we have this characteristic of the godly by asking if we walk with God. We can know if we walk with God in the following ways. By the way in which we walk. It is a private, secluded way in which only some few holy people walk. Therefore, to distinguish it from the common road, it is called a pathway. In the pathway thereof is no death. Proverbs 12:28. By walking in the fear of God. Enoch walked with God. Genesis 5:22. The Chaldean translation renders it, He walked in the fear of the Lord. The godly are fearful of that which may displease God. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Genesis 39.9 This is not a menial, slavish fear, but is a fear springing from affection. They shall fear the Lord and His goodness. Hosea 
3.5. A child fears to offend his father because of the tender affection he has for him. This made holy Anselm say, If sin were on one side and hell on the other, I would rather leap into hell than willingly offend my God. A fear joined with faith. By faith, Noah, being moved with fear, Hebrews 11.7. Faith and fear go hand in hand. When a person looks at God's holiness, he fears. When he looks at God's promises, he believes. A godly person trembles, yet trusts. Fear preserves reverence, and faith preserves cheerfulness. Fear keeps the soul from lightheartedness, and faith keeps it from excessive sadness. We may know that we walk with God if we walk in the fear of God. We are fearful of violating His laws and forfeiting His love. It is a brand set upon sinners. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Romans 3.18 The godly fear and do not offend. Psalm 4.4 The wicked offend and do not fear. Jeremiah 5.23-24 Careless and corrupt walking will soon alienate God from us and make Him weary of our company. What communion hath light with darkness? 2 Corinthians 6.14 Application 3 Let me persuade all who desire to be considered godly to get into Noah's walk. Although the truth of grace is in the heart, its beauty is seen in the walk. Walking with God is very pleasing to God. He who walks with God declares to the world which company he loves most. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 3 He considers the hours spent with God to be the sweetest hours. This is very pleasing and acceptable to God. Enoch walked with God. Genesis 5.24 See how kindly God took this at Enoch's hand. He had this testimony, that he pleased God. Hebrews 11.5 Walking closely with God is a good way to persuade and allure others to walk with him. The apostle exhorts wives to walk in such a way that the husbands might be won to Jesus by their conduct. 1 Peter 3, 1. Justin Martyr confessed that he became a Christian by observing the holy and innocent lives of the early saints. Walking closely with God would put to silence the adversaries of the truth. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. 1 Peter 2.15 Careless behavior puts a sword into the hands of the wicked to wound the Christian religion. What a sad thing it is when it is said of professing Christians that they are as proud, as covetous, and as unjust as others. Will this not expose the ways of God to contempt? However, Holy lives and walking closely with God would stop the mouths of sinners, so they would not be able to speak against God's people without lying. 
Satan came to Christ and found nothing wrong in him. John 14.30 What a confounding thing it will be to the wicked when they will have nothing to fasten as a crime upon the godly other than their holiness. We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Daniel 6.5 Walking with God is a pleasant walk. The ways of wisdom are called pleasantness. Proverbs 3.17 Is the light not pleasant? They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. Psalm 89.15 Walking with God is like walking among beds of spices that send forth a fragrant perfume. This is what brings peace, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Acts 9.31 What sweet music the bird of conscience makes in our hearts as we walk with God. They shall sing in the ways of the Lord. Psalm 138.5 Walking with God is honorable. It is a credit for one of an inferior rank to walk with a king. What greater dignity can be given to a mortal man than to converse with his maker and to walk with God every day? Walking with God leads to rest. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Hebrews 4.9 Aristotle said that motion tends to rest. Indeed, there is a motion that does not tend to rest. Those who walk with their sins will never have rest, but those who walk with God will sit down in the kingdom of God. Luke 13.29 Just as a weary traveler sits down and rests when he arrives at home, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Revelation 3. 21. A throne signifies honor, and sitting signifies rest. Walking with God is the safest way to walk. Walking in the ways of sin is like walking along the edge of a river. The sinner treads on the banks of the bottomless pit, and if death gives him a nudge, he tumbles in. However, it is safe walking in God's way. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely. Proverbs 3.23 He who walks with a guard walks safely. He who walks with God will have God's Spirit to guard him from sin, and will have God's angels to guard him from danger. Psalm 91.11 Walking with God will make death sweet. It was the desire of Augustus to have a quiet, easy death without much pain. If anything makes our pillow easy at death, it will be that we have walked with God in our generation. Do we think that walking with God can do us any harm? Did we ever hear anyone cry out on their deathbed that they have been too holy, that they have prayed too much, or that they have walked with God too much? No, that which has cut them to the heart has been that they have not walked more closely with God. They have wrung their hands and torn their hair to think that they have been so enchanted with the pleasures of the world. 
Walking closely with God will make our enemy, death, to be at peace with us. When King Ahasuerus could not sleep, he called for the book of records and had them read to him. Esther 6, 1. In the same way, when the assault of sickness causes sleep to depart from our eyes, and we can call for conscience, that book of records, and find written in it that on such a day we humbled our souls by fasting, on such a day our hearts melted in prayer, on such a day we had sweet communion with God. How refreshing this will be! How we may look death in the face with comfort and say, Lord, now take us up to you in heaven. Where we have so often been by devotion, let us now be by fruition. Walking with God is the best way to know the mind of God. Friends who walk together communicate their secrets to each other. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. Psalm 25:14. Noah walked with God. Genesis 6:9. And the Lord revealed a great secret to him about destroying the old world and saving him in the ark. Abraham walked with God and God made him a member of his privileged council. Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Genesis 18:17. God sometimes sweetly unveils himself to the soul in prayer and in the Holy Supper, as Christ made himself known to the disciples in the breaking of bread. Luke 24, 35. Those who walk with God will never be entirely left by God. The Lord may withdraw for a time in order to make His people cry after Him more, but He will not completely leave them. I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee. Isaiah 54, 8 God will not cast off any of His old acquaintances. He will not part with one who has kept him company. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Genesis 5:24. God took him up to heaven. As the Arabic renders it, Enoch was lodged in the bosom of divine love. Question. What may we do to walk with God? Answer 1. If you want to walk with God, get out of the old road of sin. He who wants to walk in a pleasant meadow must turn aside and get off the road. The way of sin is full of travelers. There are so many travelers on this road that hell, even though it is of a great circumference, would gladly enlarge itself and make room for them. Isaiah 5.14 This way of sin seems pleasant, but the end is horrible. The harlot said, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Proverbs 7:17. See how with one sweet thing, the cinnamon, there were two bitter things, myrrh and aloes. For that little sweet taste of sin at present, there will afterward be a far greater proportion of bitterness. Therefore, get out of these briars. You cannot walk with both God and sin. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? 2 Corinthians 6.14 Answer 2. 
If you want to walk with God, get acquainted with Him. Acquaint now thyself with Him. Job 22:21. Know God in His attributes and promises. Strangers do not walk together. Answer 3. Get all differences removed. Can two walk together except they are agreed? Amos 3, 3. This agreement and reconciliation is made by faith, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Romans 3.25 Once we are friends, then we will be called up to the mount as Moses and have this dignity conferred on us to be the favorites of heaven and to walk with God. Answer 4. If you desire to walk with God, get a fondness for the ways of God. They are adorned with beauty. Proverbs 4.18 They are sweetened with pleasure. Proverbs 3.17 They are secured with truth. Revelation 15.3 They are accompanied with life. Acts 2.28 They are lengthened with eternity. Habakkuk 3.6 Be enamored with the way of Christianity, and you will soon walk in it. Answer 5. If you desire to walk with God, take hold of His arm. Those who walk in their own strength will soon grow weary and tired. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. Psalm 71.16 We cannot walk with God without God. Let us entreat him with his promise. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. Ezekiel 36, 27. If God takes us by the hand, then we shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 40, 31. Section 24. A godly person labors to be an instrument of making others godly. A godly person is not content to go to heaven alone, but wants to take others there. Spiders work only for themselves, but bees work for others. A godly person is both a diamond and a magnet, a diamond for the sparkling luster of grace, and a magnet to attract others to Christ. He is always drawing others to embrace piety. Living things have a multiplying virtue. Where Christianity lives in the heart, there will be an effort to spread the life of grace in those with whom we speak. My son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Philemon 1.10 Although God is the fountain of grace, the saints are pipes to transmit living streams to others. This earnest effort for the conversion of souls proceeds from the nature of godliness, from a spirit of compassion, and from a holy zeal for Christ's glory. From the nature of godliness. It is like fire that assimilates and turns everything into its own nature. Where the fire of grace is in the heart, it will endeavor to inflame others. Grace is a holy leaven that will season and leaven others with divine principles. Paul would gladly have converted Agrippa, how he pursued him with rhetoric. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? 
I know that thou believest. Acts 26.27 His zeal and eloquence had almost captivated the king. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Acts 26.28 From a Spirit of Compassion Grace makes the heart tender. A godly person cannot choose but to have compassion for those who are in the gall of bitterness. He sees what a deadly cup is brewing for the wicked. If they do not repent, they will be bound over to God's wrath. The fire that rained on Sodom was only as a painted fire in comparison with the fire of hell. This is a fire with a vengeance, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Jude 1.7 A godly person who sees captive sinners ready to be damned labors to convert them from the error of their way. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. 2 Corinthians 5.11 From a holy zeal for Christ's glory. The glory of Christ is as dear to a godly person as his own salvation. Therefore, In order to promote the glory of Christ, he labors to bring souls to Christ. It is a glory to Christ when multitudes are born to him. Every star adds a luster to the sky. Every convert is a member added to Christ's body and is a jewel adorning his crown. Although Christ's glory cannot be increased in that he is God, yet as he is mediator, it may. The more people who are saved, the more Christ is exalted. Why else would the angels rejoice at the conversion of a sinner? Luke 15.10, if not because Christ's glory now shines even more. Application 1. This excludes from the number of the godly those who have no spiritual children. They are excluded who do not labor to bring about the salvation of others. If people loved Christ, they would endeavor to draw as many as they could to him. He who loves his captain will persuade others to come under his banner. This unmasks the hypocrite. Although a hypocrite may make a show of grace himself, he never tries to bring about grace in others. He is without compassion. I may allude to Zechariah 11:9 that that dieth let it die, and that that is to be cut off, let it be cut off. Let souls go to the devil. The hypocrite does not care. How far they are from being godly who, instead of striving for grace in others, work to destroy all hopeful beginnings of grace in them. Instead of drawing them to Christ, they draw them away from Christ. Their work is to poison and harm souls. This harming of souls occurs in three ways. 1. By bad edicts. This is how Jeroboam made Israel to sin. 1 Kings 16.26 He forced them to idolatry. 2. By bad examples. Examples speak louder than precepts, but generally the examples of great men are influential. People placed on high are like the pillar of cloud. When that went, Israel went. 
If great men move erratically, others will follow them. Three, by bad company, the breath of sinners is infectious. They are like the dragon that cast out of his mouth water as a flood. Revelation twelve fifteen. They cast a flood of oaths out of their mouths. Wicked tongues are set on fire of hell. James three six. The sinner finds matches and gunpowder, and the devil finds fire. The wicked are always setting snares and temptations before others, as the prophet speaks in another sense. I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites pots full of wine, and cups, and I said unto them, Drink ye wine. Jeremiah thirty-five five. In the same way. The wicked set pots of wine before others and make them drink until reason is bewildered and lust inflamed. Those who make people converts to the devil are astonishingly wicked. How sad will be the doom of those who, besides their own sins, have the blood of others to answer for. If it is the sign of a godly person to promote grace in others, then how much more should he promote it in his relatives and friends? A godly person will be careful that his children would know God. He would be sorry for any of his family to burn in hell. He labors to see Christ formed in those who do not know him. Augustine says that his mother, Monica, travailed with greater care and pain for his spiritual birth than for his natural birth. The time of childhood is the best time to be sowing the seed of Christianity in our children. Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. Isaiah 28:9. While wax is soft and tender, it will take any impression. While children are young, they will fear a reproof. When they are old, they will hate it. It is pleasing to God when our children know Him early in life. When you come into a garden, you love to pluck the young bud and smell it. God loves a saint in the bud. Of all the trees that the Lord could have chosen for a prophetic vision, He chose the almond tree, which is one of the first trees to blossom. Jeremiah 1:11. Such an almond tree is an early convert. By endeavoring to bring up our children in the fear of the Lord, we will provide for God's glory when we are dead. A godly person should not only honor God while he lives, but should also do something that may promote God's glory when he is dead. If our children are seasoned with gracious principles, they will stand up in our place after we have gone. And will glorify God in their generation. A good piece of ground bears not only a forecrop, but also an aftercrop. He who is godly does not only bear God a good crop of obedience himself while he lives, but by training his child in the principles of Christianity, he bears God an aftercrop when he is dead. Application two. Let all who have God's name placed on them do what they can to advance piety in others. A knife touched with a magnet will attract the needle. 
He whose heart is divinely touched with the magnet of God's Spirit will endeavor to attract those who are near him to Christ. The more excellent anything is, the more effusive it is. In the body, every member is expansive. The eye conveys light, the head conveys breath, and the liver conveys blood. A Christian must not move entirely within his own circle, but should seek the welfare of others. To be diffusively good makes us resemble God, whose sacred influence is universal. Certainly it will not be any grief of heart when conscience can witness for us that we have brought glory to God in this matter by laboring to fill heaven. This is not in any way meritorious or has any causal influence on our salvation, of course. Christ's blood is the cause, but our promoting God's glory in the conversion of others is a notable evidence of our salvation. As the rainbow is not a cause why God will not drown the world, but is a sign that he will not drown it, or as Rahab's scarlet thread hung out of the window, Joshua 2.18, was not a cause why she was exempted from destruction, but was a sign that she was exempted, so our building up others in the faith is not a reason why we are saved, but it is a symbol of our piety and an indication of our joy. I have thus shown the marks and characteristics of a godly person. If a person thus described is considered to be a fanatic, then Abraham, Moses, David, and Paul were fanatics which I think none but atheists will dare to claim.